I will start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, St. Joseph, St. Aloysius, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Alright, we're legal. Today, I, uh, I'll just give you an idea. The, the basic idea, I've been praying about the Holy Family, thinking about that. And so there's three uh, themes. I've been thinking specifically about the Holy Family going down into Egypt. And so here you have them living in a depraved, uh, pagan environment. And uh, yet there's a lot of applications we can make for that. So I'm thinking about three themes that relate to that. And, and these are, you can develop them. I'm just going to throw ideas out here. I'm going to go through three basic ideas that, uh, that struck me that are something that I thought should be talked about today. And then uh, after that... Uh, We'll just we'll see where we go with it, but I, it's not. I'm not going to do a, a formal talk in in the same way that I often do. I just want to talk about these three themes. The first one um, really is when we're living in a society like the Holy Family was living in Egypt, surrounded by by pagans. You know, they were literally pagans. I have two doors down. We have Our Lady Guadalupe a statue on our on our up there in the front step, and you look, and over at the neighbors, they have Pan, this horned god, you know, half uh, half man, half goat, because they have Wiccans that are two doors down that, that live there. You can tell, uh, when we do the, the Roman martyrology, it has the uh, the moon. You know, it's a liturgical question when the moon is, and so when you read the martyrology, you can tell what what when the new moons and the full moons are, or you can just look over at the neighbors and you can tell uh, when the new moon or the full moon is because there's stuff going on. But of course, we're priests, so we can mess with them. So <laughs> They've started to not do those things at the same times anymore, so it's kind of amusing. But anyway, we're living in a pagan society. I don't need to develop that. But one of the biggest problems that anyone has at any time, and certainly... Uh, in a time like ours, is a problem with human respect. And it's something that when you're young, uh, you really have to make a decisive break with that insofar as you can. And then it's going to be a battle your whole life. Uh, and St. Aloysius, I'm just thinking about him a little bit because of the day. St. Aloysius, of course, a patron uh, saint of youth. And one of the most extraordinary things about him is, is absolute freedom from human respect. Here's a guy, you know, when he died, uh, his spiritual director, uh, Cardinal Bellarmine, St. Robert Bellarmine, uh, said that as far as he knew, St. Aloysius had never committed a single mortal sin in his life. A number of other priests said that about him. Uh, here he was, though, from the very upper echelons of society, mixing with people that in many ways, you know, having to be in the imperial court and, and around a lot of people that aren't le- leading a very, uh, a very Catholic life, even though it's certainly much more Catholic time than ours and not falling into any of it. Why? Because he felt the eyes of God upon him. Human respect is where we feel the eyes of the people around us. We're more worried about what does everybody around us think than what does the good God think of us. And that's natural. There's, it's natural. It's part of our natural state. So it's supernatural to feel the eyes of the good God on us and say, what does he think of me right now? What does God think of what I'm doing? Not what is the person next to me or that's tee he, he and an egg and me on to do this or what are these people? What does God think of me right now? 
And how did St. Aloysius, at any rate, is, is free of this? You can read any life of him and you're going to see that. that he's, he's concerned he's, he, to the point of obsession, that's why he's a saint, of what does God think of me in these circumstances, in these situations. I'm not going to look at this, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to participate in this sort of thing. That is a supernatural strength that can only come from God. And how did he get it? He got it in prayer. Now, see, I wish he had a great gift in prayer. When he was a novice, uh, they, under obedience, they made him discuss his interior life. So that's how we know some of this. God lets this happen sometimes. This is the last thing he would have personally said. But we know that he said, in the course of six months of meditations, if he added up all his involuntary distractions and prayers, the ones he didn't intend to have, it would be less than the space of time it takes to say one Hail Mary. So, I mean, he had an extraordinary gift of being recollected in prayer. If those are the involuntary distractions in six months of prayer of a man that prays a lot. So, okay, maybe God hasn't given any one of us in particular that kind of gift to be that, you know, that recollected in prayer. But nevertheless, he's given us the gift of faith so that we can believe in him and hope and charity so we can love him. And his hope so that we can realize he's true to his promises. If we pray and ask to overcome human respect and ask to really become the saints that God has created us to be. And don't, I know that sounds like something trivial, but it's not. It's a reality that from all eternity, each person here, he's thought specifically about you and given you certain features in your personality because he wants you to be a particular saint in your state in life, in your circumstances. But in order to do that, it's completely impossible without the church. And it's completely impossible without our own cooperation. And that's the whole idea. This prayer will give us the ability to overcome human respect. This devotion to our Lord, present most blessed sacrament altar, real trust and love for the sacred heart that we can only get through prayer. We can only get it through prayer. It's not automatic. We have to ask for that. And especially prayer after communion. Ask for that to overcome human respect. It's going to carry you through situations that most people get taken out in, and most people are taken out in. You know, and we'll we'll talk about some of that later. But to overcome human respect, I can't emphasize that enough. Because what does it mean, really, to be a traditionalist Catholic in the world we're in? It means you're sentenced to be a weirdo. I'm, that's reality. I don't. I shouldn't have to tell you that, but that's true. I'm a weirdo too. I mean, you know. So we're all in it together. But that's really what it means. In human respect, we just have to say, "Oh well." You know, and you just have to put that behind you. But a lot of people can't say, oh, well, especially when they're young, when they first leave home and all that. And this pressure to fit in with the crowd and the crowd picture lemmings running, stampeding off the cliff into a very hot place. Then you got the idea. That's the pressure, though, is to do this lemming like stampede into the pit. You know, or you can think of the, of the vision at Fatima with the, with the snowflakes falling. You know, I mean, it's, it's a frightening thing. But that's what the crowd does. They're just, they're just on a big stampede. Or the, or, the, or the pigs, you know. I mean, the gathering swine. And the whole society is like so many possessed pigs running off into, the, into, a, into a giant ocean. But in order to resist those kind of pressures, we need grace. And we can especially get it for asking for it after communion, because we want to be able to say, I'm just going to be different. I'm going to be countercultural. If you develop a sense of humor about it, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you just have to be somewhat detached from yourself and not worry about what other people think. But you want to pray for that, because a lot of people don't have that sort of natural detachment in their personality, but you can get it supernaturally. And if God wants you to be a saint, he wants you to be free of human respect. 
And you have to ask for that. Because human respect, at any time in history, I mean, St. Aloysius, like I point out, he had to resist it too, and he got the graces through prayer. Everybody has to. The pressures are different. In ours, they're explicitly pagan. The Holy Family was down there in Egypt. Imagine the society they're living in. It's like ours. Came back. You know, they're converting people. They're not being converted. Freedom from human respect also makes us attractive in a supernatural way to people that are kind of. There's a lot of people that know what's going on is bad. They just don't have the virtue or the grace. Maybe they're not Catholic. They're not in the state of grace, or they're not pray. They don't either have the virtue or they don't have the grace to resist a lot of things. And they're really looking for somebody that's strong enough to say no, and they can align themselves with them. See, nobody goes to hell alone, and nobody goes to heaven alone. We go. We, with the, we surround ourselves with people that are going in the same general direction as we are. That's reality. And God's plan is not only that we go to heaven, but we drag other people along in our wake. That's part of charity, by our prayers, by our good example, and so forth. If we have the grace to resist human respect, other people that you might not know will look at it and say, man, I can't believe, you know, they might not talk to you, or they might. Sometimes God will send them over to talk to you, which will encourage you. But they'll get the courage to be different and step outside the box and quit running along with everybody else just by your good example. A bad example draws people one way, and a good example draws people the other way. There are a lot of people that only need a good example to convert, that only need a good example to stop engaging in stupid and sinful behaviors. That's all they need. So it's another encouragement from the good God. Not only wants you to be good, but he wants to leave us out there like little advertisements for heaven. That's another reason when you're counterculture, you say, well, where's this culture going? And God has set me here right now so I can be an example pointing in a different way. By the way I act. By the things I say. By the things I don't do that everybody else is doing. By the way I dress. I mean, you know, these things, do you, I, I have no mercy on the ladies. I'm wearing black stuff this time of year when they say this, you know, that covers everything too. But just by dressing like this for the priests, what a difference that makes to people. You can't believe how many people will come up to you. You'll be walking around in the middle of the night. I've been stopped getting gas in the middle of nowhere, and you stop and you end up, you know, hearing somebody's confession or help somebody out. Why? Because they see something, they walk up to you and say, are you a priest? What are you? You know, and they start talking to you. And the next thing you know, somebody's life has been changed. And that's just because you decide, I'm, I'm, I'm going you know, to advertise for what I am. And it's the same for you in your state and life. So we want to have this idea that we want to be free of human respect and worry about what the good God thinks and align ourselves completely, completely in every aspect of our life with what the good God wants. And then we're going to have this freedom to be happy. We know we're in line with His will and it gives us an opportunity to convert a lot of people. The good example, it doesn't mean you don't have to preach the faith, but the most important part of preaching the faith is just living it and being a visible example of Catholicism without worrying about what everybody else thinks of that. Don't worry about it. Who cares? At judgment, they're not going to be the ones sitting in the chair. Our Lord is. That's who we have to present ourselves to. If you've been asking Him, to be faithful to Him, to be free of human respect. Do you think He's not going to remember that when you go to judgment? Even if you fall on your face now and then like we all do? Huh? 
He'll be right there. Who more should we have to have a judge? Somebody like that. So we want to fall in love with him. We've got to ask him to fall in love with him. That's what I want to talk about human respect. So that's, that's enough time on that. I could go on. There's other points in that. But Second is I want to talk a little bit about the institutions in a society like ours. I'm only going to pick one because it's easy to beat up on, but it's one. It's representative of other institutions. But I want to read a couple things here. I'm just going to read a couple. Uh, uh, this is from a magazine called The Humanist. Do not read this magazine. It's certainly an occasion of sin. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Uh, it's put out by, by humanists. They are enemies. Um, but occasionally I go to a library and, and photocopy important articles out of it. But even this magazine, when I'm praying, I mean, it's one of those things where you, you open it, you look at the, the names of the articles, and then you very carefully just turn the things and open it up to the right page, because you've got to be careful even in that. Because it's an occasion of sin for me. So I only do it for preaching purposes. I certainly don't say, I'm bored, I'm going to go read The Humanist. So you can read your way out of the church easily. St. Alphonsus says that one bad book can destroy a whole community of nuns. Whole convent taken out by one bad book. Don't read bad magazines. It's just trash. That's, that's, that's a freebie right now. But I'm going to read you something from a bad magazine because this is what they talk about when they're writing to each other. And I want to read this, and this is only an example of one institution, but I'll do it because it's talking about schools. The first one I'm going to read, it's in their, their thing on education here. A lot of the people that write for this uh, are uh, doctors of education at various uh, teaching uh, colleges around the country and all that. This is a report from Belgium. So I'll read this, and, and I'll, I'll read one other from America, and then we'll talk about it. Da-da-da-da. Experienced teacher of ethics in schools, uh, it doesn't matter her name, gives an account of ethical education in secondary schools in Belgium. From the age of six until they are 18, children must follow a philosophical class. Uh, Although it is not technically described as humanist moral education, I'll read that again. Although it is not technically described as humanist moral education, for strategic reasons in a country with a considerable Catholic population. What do those two causes just tell us right there? They're already hiding what their goals are because they know they've got Catholic kids there. So we're not going to say exactly what we're doing because of the people we're going to have. What does it say? The course, although I'll read that sentence now, although it's not technically described as humanist moral education for strategic reasons in a country with a considerable Catholic population, the course leads to humanist thought. So it must respect the free will of pupils. In elementary education, I'm just going to skip certain lines. In elementary education, moral education should be cut in a, in a spirit of fraternity and of tolerance. Where have we heard those words? Moral education in the elementary school will teach children whose parents appeal to a certain form of humanistic thinking to solve their moral problems without referring to a transcendent authority. That means God or an absolute foundation, that means the moral law. So solve your moral problems without God or a moral law. Okay, good. Then we can have just what we've got right now. Isn't this great? And, and then it says, through a thinking method which will be based on the principle of free inquiry. It is not enough to merely suppress the reference to a divinity or the supernatural. That's not enough to just repress reference to God or supernatural. Moral teaching must build up alternative ideas, such as relativity of values, moral relativism, systematic doubt. Are you sure, you know, there's ten commandments? Did God really do that? Is there really God? Concern about the search for evidence, a constant endeavor for, for rationality, an optimistic vision of humankind, inspired by the thought of pleasure is easy, happiness has to be taught. 
dot, 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 dot. Okay, anyway. Here they are writing about what they're doing in Belgium. And uh, when we meditate on what this is, this is a, they're talking about they're being careful not to identify what their goals are, even identify the course by, by an accurate name. They're just going to call it philosophical class rather than something uh, designed specifically to produce humanistic, that is, to say, deny, when they say that, atheistic is another way we could say that, an atheistic worldview. That's just one institution. Now, I want to read something. Uh, this one, that was 93. I, uh, I, I copy these things in a seminary. Uh, this one's, the title of this one's A Religion for a New Age. Uh, the guy that wrote it was a, indeed a, a Catholic uh, once upon a time. It's just horrific uh, nonsense through the whole thing. But I, I just want to read uh, the end of it. The last paragraph. It'll take me a second. Oops. There we go. So he's, he's promoting a whole bunch of politically correct uh, sins throughout the whole thing, witchcraft and perverted behavior and whatnot. But then here's how he ends. I'm convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of humanity that recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity in every human being. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers, for they will be ministers of another sort, utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of the educational level, preschool daycare or large state university. The classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new. The rotting corpse of Christianity, together with all its adjacent evils and misery, and the new faith of humanism, resplendent in its promise of a world in which the never-realized Christian ideal of love thy neighbor will finally be achieved. Then perhaps we will be able to say with Tom Paine that the world is my country, all humankind are my brethren, and to do good is my religion. Uh, sorry, John, it's all mankind. It will undoubtedly be a long, arduous, painful struggle, replete with much sorrow and many tears, but humanism will emerge triumphant. It must if the family of humankind is to survive. Well, okay, this is rhetorical nonsense. It's garbage. But the, the only point I'm making is we have a group, and this is written 25 years ago, and these are only examples. I'm using this as an example. We have a whole worldview and a group of people that see themselves as missionaries to pr promote this worldview, their, their enemy, as I said, the whole article is about us and how bad we are because of our oppo opposition to certain types of behavior that's completely unacceptable, you know, that we believe there's ten commandments, not six and a half or whatever, etc. So the Catholic Church is the enemy. We're going to use, in this case, the public schools. That's what the Belgian one is too. This is not the only institution by any means. Look at the courts. I mean, they're doing it in the court. I'm only using this as one example of a whole agenda, this long march for the institutions to take over. And who's the enemy in it? It's not just guys with the cassocks on. It's you. Every one of us that's serious about our relationship with Christ our Lord, that's serious about our Catholic faith, this faith that's, that without which it's impossible to please God. We 
are the enemy. Just by existing and believing what we believe, why would that be so painful to people? If you have a guilty conscience, you don't want somebody coming up and poking you. And their existence is poking you if what you're doing is a flagrant contradiction to that. The situation, I'm not going to get graphic at all, but the situation in California as it rolls eastward, uh, this particular moral uh, problem, those people aren't going to, they're not just going to you know, ignore us. Toleration means, in, in, in the other world's view, what toleration means is you don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong and I won't tell you what you're doing is wrong. But our existence, an acknowledgement of the moral code, is a judgment on all kinds of moral behavior. Not by anything we even have to say. Just by the fact that we believe in God and we think that he needs to be honored and put first. And and we believe in the Ten Commandments. So, that being said, there is an agenda to paganize our country, to promote all these things, and it's in institutions. This side, again, the only reason I picked school is not... It's just because I have the articles at hand. But you could pick the the legal system. You could pick the pulpits. It's the same thing going on inside the church right now. Because they're moving in in all these different ways. Now, I'm not just saying that there's one guy pulling little wires. Well, there is, but he doesn't have a body, you know. And ultimately, this is demonic. But my point is, in the environment we're looking at, we have to look at the institutions and realize we at least have to be detached in another way too we have to be detached we have to be attached to what christ teaches and detached from any particular institution insofar as it militates against the teaching of the church and be prepared to make a stand wherever you know not that we want to but that we might have to watch a man for all seasons and when you're done rewind and watch it again watch that one frequently because he's a good example for us saint thomas more finally getting trapped by the government in his day for example not necessarily a government, but whatever it might be, but that we will have the grace to be faithful witnesses in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Please God, not something like that, but in any event, that we'll be faithful witnesses. So I want to talk a little bit about that organized attack, just in a, in a, in a general way, that we find ourselves here. If again, to, to go back to the first point, we're free from human respect, we're not going to worry so much about what other people think whether or not we engage in certain things, whether or not we think uh, public school is the greatest thing, and and so forth. Okay, those were the more general things. Uh, The third, and the point that I want to spend most time on, uh, and I'm sure Father Vanderputt must have talked about this too, is uh, something I see as a real problem, since I'm talking um, to young people here, and that's the general level of maturity in our society. It's unbelievable. Uh, or immaturity, let's put it that way. It doesn't have anything to do with with a chronological age because you meet thumb-sucking 60-year-olds. It's unbelievable. I'm not making fun of them. It's just unbelievable. The first thing you want to burn into your mind, whoever you are and whatever you are, is to do your duty. You know, whatever it is in your state and life. We're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it, to the best of our ability, and not have to have somebody looking over our shoulder. Look at the Holy Family. If St. Joseph was working, if you hired St. Joseph on a carpentry job, once you told him what to do, do you think you'd have to wander around behind St. Joseph wondering if anything got done, check up on him? No. End of story. Same with our Lord. He was a working man. If Our Lady, keeping house and all that, you do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, to the best of your ability without having to be asked twice, looked over and all that. Little kids, immature people, 
need to be guided. That's fine. But at a certain age, there's an act of the will. That's why it's not chronological. You don't have to be that old to make that decision that I'm just going to be responsible and do what I'm supposed to do. That's a maturity thing. It's something that only you can decide. We can propose it to you. But you have to decide to do it. And we need mature Catholics. We need mature men. We need mature women. We need strong personalities. Our Lord loves strong personalities. And if your personality is... That doesn't mean you can have a strong personality and not be a, a, you know, a sort of a, a, an extroverted person. A strong personality is someone that sticks to what they know, just exactly that they're doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do, and includes the, the religious duties. Do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it to the best of your abilities without having to be asked twice. Now, I'm going to talk now about why I think in general there's so many people. This is a general thing, not particular. Why I think there's so many people that are immature. And there's... This is only one example of a problem, but the problem, you have two crises when you're growing up. Everybody goes through. The first crisis is, uh, the first one is, uh, is the age of puberty, the first crisis. A lot of people never really negotiate that. They're early teens and they kind of get stuck at an age there. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they never seem to get past uh, that emotional age. Second crisis you have to negotiate is your first freedom. When you break out of your parents' home or whatever, set out on your own. And a lot of people get in a giant wreck then and never really get past that point. Those are really the two things. If a person makes it through those in a decent fashion, they'll, they'll, they'll become a mature, useful human being. The rest of them, they may be helpful, but they might not too. Okay. That being, all that being said is background. There's two phone calls that you hate getting and you get all the time as a priest. It's one of the parents, a lot of time the mother, uh, they, you know, they call out father, you know, I've got a problem. I'll talk about the boys first. I just found so-and-so has been on a computer. He's 10, he's 11, he's 9, he's 13 or 14. He's been on all these bad websites. And you, uh, you say... You just hold that thought. I don't know how many times I tell people either don't have the computer or the internet or have every kind of filter. You should have account. They have this, this sort of accountability where too, so you can keep track of things at that level too. So even if you have the little computer genius, you've got levels of it. If you're going to have the computer, but everybody thinks I don't mean literally. But so many people, this kind of phone call comes through. Well, my that's not my kid, you know. Well, we're descended from Adam, so everything except for the Blessed Virgin Mary has been a little bit about a half bubble off plum from way back. So we got problems, and the devil hasn't gone to Tahiti on vacation just because we got baptized. He's standing in the corner smoking a cigarette, waiting to get somebody to get on that computer, and then they get in a big wreck. And then that's the battle of that kid's life. Forever. It may be forever. It may be the rest of his life. I don't mean literally, because, you know, he might end up in hell. You know, please, God, he doesn't. But I'm going I'm to say that I think it's going to be unbelievable on Judgment Day when you see how the Internet has just filled hell full of souls. And I mean that. Filled it up. Just opened the pit. Opened the pit. And especially boys. These guys fall through their eyes. A lot easier than the girls. That's why they advertise. You don't see the cars advertised with some guy in a, in a slinky bathing suit laying over the front. 
And you're not going to either, okay? <laughs> Doesn't work. Those guys are trying to sell cars, huh? The guys, huh? The guys are weaker in this department. That's just reality. We'll get to the girls in a sec. But the guys are weaker in this department. And this thing is sitting there, this tick, 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 boom, and it goes off. And then what are you going to do to help that kid? And they want, it's a Humpty Dumpty problem, and they want father to fix it. If they're not Catholic, they're toast, basically, unless there's a miracle of grace. It still takes a miracle of grace, if they are Catholic, to get them back online. Because the idea they have of women has been transformed. The whole battle they have, and it's a real battle for guys anyway, a real battle at that age, is, is, is just gone from conventional to thermonuclear. It's unbelievable. I mean, Ted Bundy, if you remember who Ted Bundy was, the young people might not, it's a mass murderer of kind of a famous mass murder, if you want to put it that, or infamous. Uh, he gave a, an interview the night before he was electrocuted in Florida to Dr. Dobson and said, you know, he'd talk as long as it wasn't released till after he was dead. But in that interview, he pointed out that what had happened when he's 12 years old, roaming around in the streets, he got in a garbage can and found uh, what would now probably be the stuff as you're going through the checkout line to buy a bottle of pop, but that, would, that was what passed for pornography, you know, in, the, in, the, in those days. And, and then, it was, then it was off. It was a horse race the rest of his life. One thing led to another until he's finally killing women. And Ted Bunny said every single guy on death row with him had a porn problem. No exceptions. Does that mean that every guy that looks at pornography becomes... No. But every guy... And that on that on death row had a problem with that kind of thing. It's unbelievable. Now, that's just part of it. But right there, you're derailing. So many of the men aren't going to become the men that God wanted to be without an unbelief. I mean, basically, you've just kicked them off the Grand Canyon rim, and then you got they got to climb all the way back up after they splat to get just to ground zero and start going up again. Number two is, I'll just say this, this is another reason why it's so important for you ladies to be ladies. Even if we live in a pagan society where they're not dressing like ladies and deporting themselves like ladies and behaving like ladies, it's essential. A girl is an examination of conscience to a normal guy. And especially if he likes her and you like him. He says, I can't believe somebody like that likes me. A guy is going to look up to a girl or look down at him. That's, that, that your power, you have a moral power that God gave you that's incredible. And that doesn't mean, you know, it's not some, I'm not talking about being prudish, I'm talking about being Catholic. This moral power, a guy gets a refraction of the Blessed Virgin when he looks at a good girl. He gets a refraction of Eve when he looks at one that isn't so good. You can do good by the way you deport yourself. You can do good by dressing in a proper fashion. It's true. It's unbelievable. And it, it's edifying. It's edifying. It really is. I've stopped. I was, I was out in D.C. years ago. I stopped and walked over to a family because I couldn't believe the girls. It was so edifying. I had to go find the mother. Tell her, you know, that is wonderful. I've been down here and I haven't... It's just edifying to see young ladies. 
It's so edifying. I wanted to go find her and thank her for doing Because they're doing good, because it reminds you of the beauty of a woman in the right way. Not in a sl- slinked across the hood of a car, but this unbelievable beauty that one looks through and sees a blessed virgin in that sense. You know, because there's just this dignity that God gave to a woman. And that's something that Catholic girls can bring back into the world that's been forgotten. That you're not objects of desire or something that, that or to be drooled over in some kind of weird way, but you're you're created in the image and likeness of God, and that we're supposed to see the Blessed Virgin through that and remind us to be good, behave ourselves, and not use gruff language and all the other things that guys are prone to, because then there's a girl around. It's it's really important. It's really important. The moral power of a woman. It's an authority that only you have. And you, you exercise it by just being a good Catholic woman. Okay, so that's the first kind of phone call, though, is the wreck with the boy. And he's got the fight of his life. And I don't want to go through all... I'm going to talk in a little while how we get over those kind of things, but I'd go on. Second kind of phone call is the wreck with the girl. That doesn't happen at that age usually, to some degree, but it, it, there's some of that. But it happens at first freedom. They've left home. And they go crazy. The guy goes crazy when he's a teenager, younger. The girl goes crazy. I'm talking on average. Hopefully this doesn't happen. The girl at her first freedom. The guy, if you have a society built on Catholic standards, all this stuff isn't available to see. This stuff isn't around. He's not going to get in trouble. And somebody will pound him if they got anywhere near his sister, you know, if he was that kind of a guy. The girl, what always protected girls, is a society with fatherhood. But you've taken out this manliness because you have all these guys that are locked down at 12 years old running around like a bunch of orangutans because they're hooked on porn and other things. They're not looking at you like ladies. So that's missing. And with a vacuum like that, when one leaves home, you about need a machine gun nest to protect you because nobody else is going to. It's just free game. And girls fall especially through what they hear. It goes back to the garden. I'm not going to develop all that right now. The, The girl can be talked into stupid and sinful things. You've got to be careful who you talk to. You've got to be careful how much time you spend talking to somebody. I know I've mentioned that before. Many heard it. We have expressions back home. I'm sure they got them here too, but silver-tongued devil, and there's other ones like that. We've got all kinds of expressions for that kind of a guy. All kinds of them where I'm from, and I'm sure they do down here too. I just didn't come up down here, so I don't know what they are. But why they call him a silver-tongued devil? Because he's like the devil... And he's seducing women in different ways because he's got a good line, you know. By a good line means a bad line. But I mean girls like it. They like listening to that sort of thing. It's your weak point in that way. The whole idea of chaperones and being careful where you're at, is it's not going to happen to you if you surround yourself with chaperones or anywhere you go somewhere you have your little brother or little sister if you're from a family like that. Nothing's going to get, They're going to tell dad or mom everything. So you're totally safe if you take them with you. But... Uh, you're not going to be protected by our society at large. That's the second wreck right there. Now, I want to hold that thought. I'm going to come back to getting over it, but I want to develop that idea quite a bit. I'd mentioned schools earlier as as evil geniuses uh, doing certain things. But I want to talk a little bit about a guy named Wilhelm Reich right now. This is going to sound weird, but I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to read you a few things from him. And then I'm, and we'll, we'll talk about what his influence is here because it's important, especially for ladies to understand this and for fathers and those that are going to be fathers to understand Wilhelm Reich. Wilhelm Reich, uh, uh, 
physician, a partner of a guy named Freud, studied on him, and a communist. It's not a very good combination. And between the wars, World War One and World War Two, as a communist, he decided, and I think this is really under the influence of Satan, he decided that he had a specific contribution to make to the revolution, to advancing the revolution. Hold that thought. Remember in 1917, our lady talks about the errors of Russia, you know, essentially this atheistic Marxist uh, agenda going forward. Well, here we have a guy uh, that grew up in Galatia anyway, but... Uh, He's working in Vienna and Berlin at the time. He dies in prison in America in 1958, but that's a different story, just to tell how it ends. But Wilhelm Wright, his contribution is going to be in the field of sex. He, he wrote a book called The Sexual Revolution. That's a pretty common, This is a Marxist talking about things. Now, what, what did he do? Well, he realized it's all very interesting to have a revolution overthrow the social order, by bad behavior of this type, sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. But it doesn't work very well because you might be able to get a lot of guys excited about it. That's what the internet does, huh? And, you know, and they're stuck at that age. But the girls have a lot more at stake, you know. Guys don't get pregnant. Girls can, you know, etc. It's obvious to anybody that thinks clearly who has more at stake. But Reich figured something out. I want to read something to you from Reich. Well, it'll take me too long to find it on the page. I'll just tell it to you rather than read it because you just take an LI. He realized that if we can get girls in an environment, individually I, we can't talk them into this. It's not going to work. But we have to get them in an environment where they think, well, everybody is doing this because girls are more sensitive to what's going on in general. Guys, I, I use the example all the time. You can have a group like this. Two of the girls can be wearing the same uh, clothing. Not one guy here would know this, and all the girls would. And, and you'd be, like, shocked if we didn't notice, you know. I told this story to some people at Kansas City who came laughing out because their dad, there's two secretaries at work, and for one week they, all, they, wore, they planned it so they wore the same clothes every day. And then at the end of the week they come in, did you notice anything? He says, no, is there something wrong? <laughs> for a week. Because that's how we are, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But you're, God gave you the, the, the ability to set the moral barometer in society. So you're paying attention to what things are going That's why the Blessed Virgin, you, you model yourself after the Blessed Virgin, you keep the, the bar higher. Because if, if the average of girls morally in the society is there, the average of guys is going to be there. If the girls are there. That's how it works. That's how it works. And so he realized, wait a minute, I have to establish an environment if I'm going to have this revolution where the girls think everybody's doing it and then it's going to work. And he did the experiments and it worked. He could get girls to go along. I, want to, I'm going to, I, want, I don't want to end with that right there on Reich. I want to read a, a couple other things. And uh, I'll make just a point. This is from an, uh, an essay written by a guy who right now today is a professor at Loyola uh, University. I think it's in Maryland. There's more than one, but... Uh, he gives a lecture on Brave New World. During the question-answer period, there was a brief discussion about the similarities of dormitory life with Brave New World. I opined, this is the professor, that whatever the resemblance, there's a clear difference between the two. Sexual promiscuity and hooking up among college students is voluntary, I said, whereas in Brave New World, this behavior is mandatory, because that's what it is in Brave New World. 
A young man, or a young woman, a dormitory resident advisor, walked up to me afterwards and chided me. Dr. Gorian, you are mistaken about that. The peer pressure and way things are set up make promiscuity practically obligatory. It doesn't matter what the school says officially. Rules are to be broken. This freedom can make girls dizzy and unsure of what else they believe about saving oneself for marriage. When it seems like everyone else is doing it, it is hard to say no. It is more like Brave New World here than you think. I deal with it or more frequently turn my eyes from it every day as an RA. Human respect. And in this environment like that, it's not for nothing that the dormitories are like that. At the, at the riots, I don't want to go into all the history, but at the riots in Paris in 68, they were throwing Reich's books at the cops. The student revolutionaries took this in in the 60s. It hasn't gone away. In public education, that's why they have things like sex ed and so forth, to establish an environment like this. The media establish an environment like this. Reich's genius is just figuring out how to use it for the revolution. They've known about this. This is not a, it's not a particular discovery. If you know like how Bacchus was worshipped in the old days, or Dionysius, if you use his Greek name, uh, how Bacchus or Dionysius was worshipped, the way the worship worked, without getting into the gory details, is people would go out into the hills and then they'd play a certain kind of uh, exciting music. It wasn't electric, you know. And they're dancing around and they're drinking, and they're playing this music, and all of a sudden, everything just starts happening. The girls aren't modest anymore and whatnot. That was how he was worshipped. That's, they, different places used to make laws against this because they realized this stuff's so dangerous. We don't make laws against it. We call them rock and roll concerts. We allow it publicly. The difference between a rock and roll concert and a Dionysian worship is electricity couple thousand years. The devil hasn't, Dionysius, he's a devil. He hasn't gotten any older. It's not like they're grown gray hair or anything. They do the same things they've always done. So somebody like this, I'm not saying it's the same devil. I don't know. But Reich has tapped into the same thing. If we can get an environment like that, it's going to be very hard for the girls to resist at their first freedom. We've got an environment like that. Go back to St. Aloysius. You need to be prayed up. As Catholics, we don't have to be scared. The devil is scared of us if we're living a good Catholic life. I mean, that doesn't mean he's going to show it. Think of the devil like the Wizard of Oz. The big, don't look behind that curtain. This little twerp running levers and trying to scare us. But if we're living a good life, he's scared of us. But that doesn't mean that he can't get us. I mean, if we're going to be stupid and not realize where we're weak, or maybe just ignorant, because ignorant is just as good to step into a bear trap as stupid. You see the bear trap and you stick your foot in it? All right, you're dumb. You don't see you stick your foot in it, you're not dumb, but you're just as stuck either way. That's how the devil works. We see these kind of weaknesses. So, you don't put yourself in these kind of environments. Keep around a chaperone, etc. You think maybe, well, I want to, uh, let me read another thing here. I want to stay on this theme for a minute before we... I'll be careful. I'll go over my time. At 4.30 p.m. on March 30, 2002, Israeli military forces took over Palestinian TV stations when they occupied Ramallah and the West Bank, immediately shutting down TV stations. 
What followed was a little more unusual. Shortly after occupying the Al-Watan TV station, Israeli forces began broadcasting X hardcore pornography over its transmitter. Eventually, according to a report from the Advertiser, an Australian newspaper, the Israelis expanded their cultural offenses against the Palestinian people by broadcasting pornography over two other Palestinian stations, the Moaj and El Sharak channels. One 52-year-old Palestinian mother of three children, according to the report and advertiser, complained about the deliberate psychological damage caused by these broadcasts. The only Palestinian station not taken over by the Israelis ran a written message at the bottom of the screen claiming anything currently shown on Hawatan and other local TV channels has nothing to do with Palestinian programs, but is being broadcast by the Israeli occupation forces. We urge parents to take precautions. Furthermore, they put them under martial law and weren't allowed to go outside the house. So the only way to get information was on the media. In addition to being outraged, the Palestinians were bewildered. Why in the world, one correspondent to omanforum.com wondered, should one do such a thing? I've told you, but we'll keep going. What's Samson and Delilah? God's told you too. Samson's a judge of Israel, but he keeps getting taken out by Delilah, even though he recognizes that Delilah is in league with his enemies. And where does he end up? With his eyes poked out. There's a spiritual meaning to all that, too. Eyes poked out, working in the mill with slaves. It's the military use of pornography. I haven't seen the article, though I've read about it. I haven't found out how to get it yet. But an article with a name about like that. It was written, it's like a, a, a joint project between uh, some guys in one of our agencies and some guys in the Israeli, one of the Israeli defense agencies. And then a few months later, the experiment. Go back to the Internet. Do you think it's an accident? You know, if you go back, some of your, the, the, the adults here certainly remember, the older ones, uh, that in the Bush 1 administration, we almost had pornography gone in the United States. It was hard to get. There's one county in Florida where they still had it, like in 7-Elevens and all of that. The county attorney uh, was named Janet Reno. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty much gone. Now, it's pretty much in everybody's living room. It's not an accident. I am not saying that everybody involved in all this that is explicitly in on some plot, but I am saying that certainly at the demonic level, it's clear. And I would suggest that there are certain other people that it's clear to, too. And the reason was not to pick on the Israelis to read that, but to point out that there are governments that understand very well this principle. One government I can think of, one of the first things they did, I didn't bring the article, I have it laying there, is when they took over Iraq, they opened up porn theaters and, and brought in all the playboys and all that. That might be ours. If they'll do it to the Iraqis, they'll do it to us. It's a war. If you're a slave to your passions, you do what your boss says, so to speak. You're not much worry. It's a war. We've got to not look at the things people look at. We've got to not look the way they look. 
Guys have to be capable of what they look at. Girls have to be careful of what they look like. We have to be culturally separate from this without sitting in judgment to the people that are tang- tangled up in it, being an example to them and praying for them. But we have to remove ourselves from this kind of thing. It's a war. A couple more things on Reich, and then I'll start winding this up. Reich's scenario, I'll just read some stuff. The father is the villain. As Reich had learned from Freud, God is an exalted father, so any attack on the father is an attack on God, and vice versa. Quote, this is Reich. The strict father who denies the fulfillment of the child's desires is God's representative on earth, and in the fantasy of the child is the execution of God's will. Close quote. He discovered through his uh, revolutionary work, especially in Berlin, that the best way to attack the social system, which rests on the authority of the father, who represents the authority of God, the Father, on earth, is to persuade the young person to engage in sexual activity before marriage. Dot, dot, dot. Um, and he, he goes on. Uh, anyway, once, when, and it says it blocks out their ability to believe in God in any concrete way. Once God's out of the picture, the authority of the Father disappeared. With that, the whole social order based on the moral order, which is to say social order, any real social order in the real sense of the word, is gone. He also discovered something else, too. He told people, don't bother arguing with seminarians about the existence of God. It won't work. You have to get them sexualized. He said, you can't win an argument with an argument. You have to win an argument with a girl. So, what's our role in all this? Well, first off, God knew when we were going to live. So he's going to give us the graces we need to become saints in the social circumstances we find ourselves in. And even though we find ourselves in a pretty foul environment, a pagan environment, a modern-day Egypt, that just means there's that many more graces to become a saint in these circumstances. The human respect is key. You have to break away from that. You have to pray to do the will of God in all things, no matter how painful it might be. If you get that, everything else flows from it, even if you get in a terrible, terrible wreck. That terrible wreck will keep you humble. I don't wish it on anybody, but if one has broken free from human respect, a terrible wreck, they get to confession, they can put their life back together again. Praying to get rid of human respect. Frequent confession. Honest confession. Right from the heart confession. I mean, just... Taking responsibility for your sins. Not sort of the flight pattern around, well, maybe, you know. Take responsibility for yourself. It doesn't matter to the priest. We're there on behalf of the good God. I always tell people, and I tell you right here, to you show up my confessional, you have something new, I'll do the penance for you. We've heard it all. I do it. It's a one-time good deal. You can surprise me, I'll do your penance. So that's a guarantee. Um, so we've heard it all. We're not shocked when people show up and have sins. This, this is another thing the devil comes up with. Well, what, what is Father going to think? When you go to emergency room, are you there because you're healthy? The doctor, you know, the doctor thinks, what is this person in here if they're perfectly healthy? If you come in there and you're wounded, that's why you're in the emergency room. If you come in with sins, that's why you're in a confessional. We're not surprised. It's not that big of a deal. We've heard it all. We can help you out. Frequent confession. You want to go to confession before you need to go to confession, so you don't need to go to confession. That sounds paradoxical. If you're going to confession frequently, you'll never fall very far. 
You don't ever want to fall into mortal sin, but even if you're struggling with that, keep going to confession frequently. St. Philip Neri used to have people go every day if needs be, and they're having a struggle. But make good confessions frequently, and that keeps you from cratering. Because the idea isn't to have this out of state, you know, spiritually dead, spiritualized, spiritually dead, spiritually dead. I mean, if you're struggling with it, that's one thing, but the idea is spiritually alive and moving up the whole time. Frequent confession, fervent communions. Ask God for the grace to overcome whatever your major malfunctions are and overcome human respect. Try to pray your rosary better every day. Ask people like St. Aloysius, your angel or lady, to help you drive away distractions. If you have distractions and you haven't asked to get rid of them in prayer, well, then start. Because that's the first place you start if you're having... You're going to have some anyway. St. Teresa Avila called her mind a mad woman in the house. So you're going to have some issues with the distractions. But a lot of it's going to go away if you start asking to get rid of them so that your prayer becomes more of a prayer. So when you're saying the rosary, it becomes more of a meditation. If you work at saying the rosary, you can move into the higher levels of prayer. That's sufficient mental prayer to move up. And more lay people move up lay men and lay women, to higher levels of prayer through saying the rosary than any other means. So you're just doing what Our Lady asked at Fatima, and you're trying to do it better every day. It's not doing more as much as it's doing what you do in a more profound way, but it's supernatural, so you ask for the grace. Try to do a better job meditating your rosary every day. And then mortification. I'm going to talk specifically about people that crash and burn in a set, but mortification. You need to have a little life of mortification all the time. Basically what we're talking about, these two car wrecks, the guys and the girls, at the, at, one, at, one at the early teens, one at the late teens, is people that haven't got strong enough to say no to pleasure. An adult does what is according to right reason in God, and a kid does what's pleasurable all the time. That's why you got to teach them a lot of times. No, that's enough and so forth. But a lot of our adults can't say no to any pleasure at all. I mean, you, 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 nothing. So how do you do that? Well, I mean, if you drink coffee with sugar, cut, cut back on about half your sugar. Sometimes none, but you don't have to get rid of the sugar. Just get, Anything you put sugar on, take less. Cut back on the amount of dessert you eat if you eat on that. When you're taking a shower... Uh, turn it on, cold water, full blast at the end for one or two, three glory bees and turn around. That's a legitimate pleasure, a shower, and that's, well, this time of year that'll feel good, but most of the rest of the time it's not going to. Now, if you're sick, don't do it because that's not reasonable. You know, I'm sick, ah, I get cold water and we get up in, with pneumonia in the hospital. No, I mean, use your head. But when you're not sick, I mean, don't give yourself a pass, stuff like that. Uh, it's really easy. When you go, to, you go to a cafe and you find something you really like on the menu and then order something else. Why? Not, you don't have to find the thing you really hate and order it, but find something you, the one you really like and then say, no, I'll order this on purpose. That sort of thing, regular. Every, at every meal, season one piece of food in a way that you find kind of annoying and make yourself eat it. Not the whole, not the whole plate. Take more of what you don't like and less of what you do like. And eat, not, I'm speaking especially to the guys right now, you don't have to tamp it in. Just stop where you could eat. I know you're going to be hungry, but stop where you could eat one more half slice of bread when you're a teenager. About that much. Now, that's going to change depending on how hard you work. But, you know, that tamped in, no, stop before the tamped in feeling gets there. That's the thing. So it doesn't mean volume. If you're working hard, you still might be able to eat half a horse. But you eat half a horse less three bites, you know. And, that, and that's what you want to do. I know. Well, you're growing. You don't, none of this Auschwitz plan stuff. That's nonsense. You don't do that. But uh, you cut back in that way. You cut back just a little bit on the volume so you're just slightly hungry. That's a really good way to eat. You're always just slightly hungry. That's a good thing to offer up. 
You can still get all your work done. It won't make you weak. You're not going to pass out and get faint an hour later because you got missed three bites of food. But if you, and it takes a little discipline too because that means you got to lift your face out of the plate once in a while and quit inhaling. And so that's always good too to act like a human being. Well, probably all you guys do, but you know, I'm from Montana. Anyway, uh, those kind of things, this constant little mortifications, because what you're doing is you're denying yourself legitimate pleasures. If you can say no to small legitimate pleasures on a regular basis, you've got the strength to say no to illegitimate pleasures, but you've got to build it up. It's like any other kind of strength. It's a strength, and you're not born with it. You have to work on it. It's a virtue that you have to work on, and you work on it little. You just do it little every day, three little ones at least. And, and make sure, hold yourself to task. When you're saying your three Hail Marys, kneel on your fingers. If there's nobody around, don't do it because that's showing off. If there are, you know, you just do that, put on, kneel on your fingertips. It hurts. That's the point. You're not going to, well, I mean, if you had a problem with your fingers, don't do it. But other than that, do that. That's the point. And, and don't find a carpet, you know, kneel on the floor. Be a man. And the ladies can do that too. Um, th- those kind of things. It's, these little things like that give you an unbelievable power to say no to pleasure when it comes your way and you know, I can't sign off on this one. And that, the main attack is coming in pleasure. The bondage is in pleasure. And if you don't have the ability to say no to little pleasures, you're not going to have the ability to say no to big ones because the devil is just going to bide his time and get you. But if you do this, you're going to have an unbelievable moral power. It, and it's easy. That's one point. You just start. It's easy. We're not talking about major, major things. You do these three little things. Start them today. You do that, you'll see. If you do those kind of things, you'll have that kind of strength. Last comments and we'll close because I see I'm right at the hour and I don't want to overdo it. If a person's gotten a wreck, a bad wreck, a couple things you want to do. Obviously, you have to you have a real sacramental life. Everything is supposing that. You have to be praying rosy. All the things you've already said, you have to establish that. You've got to find a confessor and, 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 and go regularly to him so that there's an accountability. Keep the same confessor. If they're going to be too, you know, I mean, if you're going to have a hard time and you keep shifting around, your accountability isn't going to work. Do you see what I mean? You want to, because that's part of it. The confessor doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter who it is in that sense, as long as they're they're a, a good Catholic. What it matters is you're going to the same person in that way, so that that's going to be another pressure for you if you're trying to overcome something, because you don't. Not only do you not, you're worried about God, you're worried about having to tell the confessor, but you make yourself go. If you're too weak, go to a different one. That's okay. But I mean, you keep praying to get the strength to keep going to the same one, because that is a good use of, of fear at that level. Uh, 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 there'll, there'll be a, uh, some human respect. right? There. That's a good use of human respect. It doesn't matter to the confessor. We're happy to help people out. I want to assure you that. But that is a good thing because you say, oh, I don't want to tell Father. And that'll help you have strength not to get into that wreck. Do you see what I mean? But you've got to go regular. That's what the, the only reason right there, well, finally, that I want to emphasize on that. You've got to pray prayers asking our Lord to heal things. I'll just use the example of a guy that, that, that got into a bunch of bad pictures and all that. What he wants to do is ask our Lord 
invite him in. So he's gone to confession. It's, it's pointless to do this without getting your, your soul in line. Then tell her, Lord, I've, I've wrecked this, but I'm not going to ask you to come in and fix anything that's been wrecked here. I want you to come in. You don't sit and review it because that's bringing the stuff back up. That's the last thing with these kind of sins you want to do is start thinking about what all have I done or what have I looked at. No. But you ask the Lord to come in and heal any disorder in your soul, any wounds that are there. It's called the relics of sin. I've mentioned it here before. I don't want to go on. But you're asking him to heal those relics of sin, to come in to anything disorder that you've looked at, anything in your memory, your imagination, your passions. Uh, if you're Thomas, you can go through a few more details, but I don't want to do that right now. But to heal that and reorder you in a way, in a way that's pleasing to him. If you pray those every day and you're going to communion and asking for that same thing in communion, it will get reordered. He'll do it. He's God. He's in charge. And you're asking him to heal something that's important for salvation. He always hears prayers that have to do with you getting to heaven. I mean, praying to win the lottery, hmm. But praying to get to heaven, yes. God, it might take you a while. That's up to him. Because, you know, part of it's humility, part of it's making sure you get it. But he will heal that. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And the communions. And at communion, saying, Lord, I'm going to make a communion, ask you to heal any wounds that are still there so that I don't have these, this battle anyway. It's not going to mean that you quit being a man and still having those struggles. It's the same thing. For the girls, it's the same kind of idea. Again, I emphasize, do not review in your mind all the things you did wrong if you did something wrong. These are the kind of things you don't review at all. After you've confessed them, you never review them. But you just ask the Lord to come in and reorder anything that was disordered there and heal you and give you strength to not get in those situations, not do those things, not be displeasing them. It works the same for both, no matter what the wrecks were. It's unbelievable the kind of peace of soul that our Lord wants to give people. But we have to ask. He's a gentleman, and if we don't ask, he might not come into that particular part of our personality. So we want to specifically invite him in there, and he'll heal that kind of thing. Okay, that being said, I'll give you all a blessing. Pax et benedictionum tentis patris et filiates spiritus sanctions uros et maniat semper. Amen. 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 Amen.